Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, hey, guys, welcome to Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith, and thank you so much once again for pressing that play button. I know I say that most episodes, but I really, really do mean that. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Today, we are going to challenge the problem of how to find your breakthrough idea and build a following around it. In this world of content, in this digital world where everyone is vying for attention, I saw a stat the other day that says people see over 321 ads per day. What a startling statistic. Our attention is at a premium. And if you're on the other side of that, if you are looking to find your breakthrough idea, but more importantly, build a loyal following, you have to do something to get that attention. And more importantly, build the trust, build the friendship that comes from that. And that is the issue that we're going to challenge. And with me today is a fantastic guest, someone that I've been looking forward to talking to for a long, long time now, the author of Standout, Dory Clark. Welcome. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a real, real pleasure. And just before we dive in, Dory, we've just had a, a good old chat in the pre-interview chatter, so I, uh, I feel like I know you a little better already. But just before we get to the issue at hand, let's just tell people, what is it you do, Dory, and where do you come from? Yeah, absolutely. So I work with uh, uh, with professionals and companies to make sure that their best ideas get heard. And uh, I have been working on that for a number of years. I have written a couple of books. Reinventing You was my first one. And Stand Out, you mentioned, uh, is the most recent one about how to become a recognized expert in your field. I give speeches. I uh, do consulting. And uh, I teach business school for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke and some other uh, leading business business institutions as well. Superb, superb. And let's just talk about Stand Out for a second, because I know it's, it's a relatively new book that you've, uh, that you've launched. So just tell people a little bit more about that, please. Well, essentially, Stand Out is trying to, to answer the question that you articulated at the start of the episode in a really noisy world where people are deluged with emails, you know, hundreds of emails coming at them, social media messages, with all that noise how can you stand out as a professional? If you have an idea that you care about, how can you make sure it gets heard? And so to try to answer that question, I interviewed about 50 top professionals and, and thought leaders, uh, people who some of your listeners uh, you know, who are into business literature may be familiar with, like Seth Godin, the marketing great, and uh, David Allen of Getting Things Done fame, uh, Robert Cialdini, who's one of the world's leaders in the study of influence, Tom Peters, uh, the great business guru. Uh, so I, I spoke with people like that, as well as folks who are leaders in everything from bicycle advocacy to genomics, uh, to try to understand the common characteristics that they had about first how they were able to develop their breakthrough ideas and next how they were able to then build a following around them so that we could create a, a sort of guidebook, a roadmap so that regular professionals could begin to share their best ideas effectively as well. And I think it's such a, a common desire these days. I think people see the value in the personal brand. They see the value in their own voice being heard. And I just want to kind of dig into the idea before we get to the main meat of the episode of, of being a thought leader. What We see that bandied about quite a lot. What Actually, what does that mean to be a thought leader? 
Well, the, the way that I define it, Mark, is uh, I, I actually like to, to go deep into the words. Um, I actually, I think it's a, a good term. I mean, some people uh, resist it a little bit. They think it's been overused or uh, that, that it's kind of a self-congratulatory term. And I agree. I don't think people should really call themselves thought leaders. Uh, it can be a little egotistical. But if you, uh, you know, if you're aspiring to be a thought leader, I actually think it is worth something aspiring toward. And the reason is that the first part, thought, implies that you are famous for your ideas. I think that that's something that a lot of professionals can respect and get behind. That is not a shallow celebrity or famous for being famous. You're famous because you have good ideas that contribute to the dialogue. The second part, thought leader, uh, is that you have to have followers. And that is important because there are a lot of ivory tower experts in the world, but they're not making an impact because you could have the best idea in the world, but if, if no one's ever heard of it, if you haven't bothered to get people on board with it, it is not going to, to change the world. And I think the kinds of professionals that are listening to this podcast are the kind of people who really want to make an impact with their personal and professional lives. And so that's why I think that thought leadership is actually a, a really worthwhile thing, whether it's, uh, it's changing the, the world writ large or um, becoming a thought leader in your community or in your company because you're somebody who is um, moving the ball forward at a local level. That's equally important. I think that's really, it's a really interesting point to note is, is the idea that you, you know, you don't necessarily give yourself this kind of tag. And we're going to get to obviously the idea of finding your breakthrough, but I just want to dig into the thought leader side of things just for a second further, actually, because what I'm really interested in is everyone that you've interviewed, and I'm sure this is in the book as well, what are the common traits? What are some of the biggest commonalities that these people have between them that make them stand out so much in their particular fields? Well, I think at the at the highest level, Mark, um, it is both that that combination, which is rarer than you might think, of having an idea that that you know, is a high quality idea that you are known for and a willingness to roll up your sleeves and essentially to market it, you know, willingness to, to talk about it, to build that following, to engage with people. Um, not everybody is willing to do both parts, but I, I think that that's uh, a really crucial first step. Uh, another thing that I would say that, that all the top thought leaders have in common is actually um, a, uh, a, a willingness to create white space and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Uh, David Allen, uh, when I interviewed him, the productivity expert, he raised a really interesting point. He said, it doesn't take time to have a great idea. What it takes is space. Because for most of us, we are so pushed to the limit. We're, you know, we're trying to, to multitask, to jam things into our schedules. And as a result, even if you have 15 minutes or an hour where you're able to, you know, you could be sitting and thinking and being creative, you can't be because your mind is stuck back on what happened in the last meeting or it's stuck worrying about the emails that you haven't responded to. And so you never have the kind of peace that enables you to make creative connections that could actually dramatically move your business or your industry forward. And so being willing to take time to, to carve out that space, because you really do have to be proactive in claiming that, uh, is very, very important. Uh, research by Teresa Amabile of Harvard Business School has shown that even though, ironically, professionals feel 
more creative when they are, you know, going nuts and multitasking and doing multiple things all at once. Uh, it turns out that's an illusion. And uh, even though they feel more productive, they're actually less productive. And so that is a really important thing that, uh, that aspiring thought leaders need to keep in mind. I think we can probably all relate to that as well at some level. I think that's, that's something that we all find ourselves struggling against. I love what you said there about carving out and claiming that time to, to give yourself the space to think and create. That's, that's a massive issue for a lot of people, I would imagine. And that segues perfectly, actually, into this idea that how can I find my breakthrough idea if I'm so, so busy, if I'm dealing with multiple different elements, particularly within a business, but perhaps I do have this aspiration of becoming a thought leader at company, industry, or even worldwide level. So what are some of the steps that people can take early on to try and get those creative juices flowing and moving towards this idea? Well, you know, some some early steps that, that people can take. Um, there's a, a lot of good possibilities, but one of them, um, you know, along the theme of, uh, of, of creating the white space, um, one of my favorite stories from Standout is actually that of Daniel Goleman, who is the creator of the, or the popularizer of the concept of emotional intelligence. This was actually uh, by the Harvard Re Business Review in the 1990s. It was called the most important management insight of the entire decade. And I was really fascinated. I didn't know initially a lot about how, uh, how he had spread this idea or what his background was. I had assumed he was, uh, he was some kind of a researcher, but it turns out he's not. He is, uh, he's a journalist and he was reading a psychology journal and he saw this, he saw a study about emotional intelligence and he said, wow, this, you know, this is it. This is a really important topic and uh, somebody needs to popularize it. And he decided to do it. And I think that his story is, uh, is actually powerful for two reasons. One is that the, is the time that it takes to actually read a scholarly journal, that's something almost nobody does now. You know, people are just, are just rushing the, you know, they're reading a Twitter feed. They might read a blog post if, uh, if we're lucky. Um, but to actually read a scholarly journal and to take the time to sit back and soak that in and see if it actually, you know, see for themselves if it actually is important and worth talking about, that's something that more of us should be doing. The other thing that I think is really critical is that he didn't come up with, meaning he didn't invent the idea. He saw the idea and saw that it was important and deserved to be spread. And this is really critical because I think a lot of people assume that unless they're some kind of a scientist or a researcher or whatever, that they, they just can't come up with the ideas because they're not inventing something, quote unquote. But increasingly, thought leaders don't have to be inventors. They can be synthesizers. They can be popularizers. You just have to be on the lookout for things that are interesting and things that are undervalued, that deserve to be seen more. And I think Almost any professional has the capacity to do that if we focus on it and if we are willing to uh, to really dive in and engage. I think that that really sort of brings to the front of my mind the idea that you obviously invest much more in something that you're naturally passionate about. And the story that you told there, you know, that is something that someone instantly gained a passion for because he saw the importance of it. And is that... Is that a, a, a common trait as well? So the people that tend to do well in this kind of arena, are they so, so passionate about the things that they become thought leaders in? That that seems to be a prerequisite, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... I think that 
it doesn't necessarily have to be passion. I think you do develop passion over time as you get more immersed in something. But I would say that an essential early ingredient is curiosity. Uh, you have to be willing to learn about something, to, to, to be willing to dig and to ask yourself, you know, hey, what's, what's missing here? Or what's the story that's not being told? Uh, you know, thing, things like that. If you have a curiosity and an openness and a sort of investigative mentality, that's where you can really begin to see the holes in the current dialogue and begin to hypothesize about places where you can help and where you can fill in those holes. And I'm just thinking about the people sat there, you know, in their small businesses, particularly who are very, very busy and they they kind of perhaps even in, in, in places where, you know, they're perhaps not in a big city, they're not in a big tech center, if you like. This really is for anyone, isn't it? It just needs to be around, as you say, finding the holes and digging deep into something. You don't necessarily have to be in a particular location or a particular out, outlook on life to be able to achieve this kind of thing, do you? No, no, absolutely. This is this re these really are precepts that anyone can follow. Uh, I mean, in fact, uh, one one story uh, that I tell in Standout is uh, about a woman named Rose Schumann, and she grew up in the U.S. Uh, in a suburb of Washington D.C. and she had you know a nice, comfortable uh, upbringing, a nice middle class family life. But when she was a teenager, her family went to Nicaragua on a trip because her stepmother was from Nicaragua. And the Contra War had recently ended and they were going down there to visit the stepmom's relatives. And Rose was really just overcome by what she saw. She had never been in an environment like that. I mean, it was a war-torn country. There was poverty everywhere. The institutions that we take for granted, you know, things like streetlights, uh, they just weren't, weren't there. It just was not functional. And it hit her so hard that she decided that she wanted to make a life in international development. And that was actually what she did. She uh, she went to college, she studied it. And uh, the reason that I profiled her in Standout actually was that she subsequently developed a really interesting uh, nonprofit initiative called the Question Box, which is a, a very uh, distinctive way of trying to uh, bring internet access to the world's poorest people. But you know, for her, what I think is is important is it was uh, it was this chance thing, really. It was a childhood trip uh, to you know this this foreign country that inspired her uh, to um, to develop a whole life's course and to begin asking the questions that would later inform what she was doing. And I think for for any of us, we have distinct experiences. You know, no matter what town you grow up in, no matter, you know, what your your interests or hobbies are, you are different than anyone else uh, based on your unique uh, skills, experiences, and background. And that means that you see the world in a different way. And so just as Rose was uniquely inspired by her trip to Nicaragua and decided to become uh, a development advocate, uh, there are things in each of our pasts that, uh, that, that shine a light, you know, something that we uniquely are drawn to. And I think that that's something that's, that's worth uh, exploring. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. The idea that you can just dig into something that affects you so profoundly in, in whatever walk of life you're from. I think that's really, really important. And that, that sort of leads me on to my next train of thought then, which is the idea of, because we are in this, this noisy world, you talked about it right at the beginning, Dory, you know, we, we're sort of in this deluge of marketing messages and ads and Twitter and email and all sorts of different things vying for our attention. 
Is there an element of confidence that needs to come with this breakthrough idea, the confidence to stand up and actually be able to have that voice and find your own boost of self-esteem, if you like, to actually start talking about this publicly? Is that a, is that a bit of a hurdle for people typically? I think it can be for sure, uh, which is, you know, I mean, you do certainly need to have a degree of confidence in order to, to be able to share your idea. Um, two thoughts about it. One is that something that, that, can help, uh, you know, not everybody, but I think that can help a lot of people is to understand a, a reframing of the issue. Because sometimes people think, oh, well, I can't do this because I'm not a self-promotional person. You know, I don't want to be getting out there and oh, me, me, me. But the truth is, if you have an idea that you care about, it's about the idea. It's not about you. And people need to realize that it is not self-promotional for you to be getting out there and spreading the word about something that you are really passionate about. If, uh, if it's some idea that, uh, that you feel like can really benefit and help people. So you have to make your, you have to be willing to make yourself the messenger for your idea. You are what bears it into the world. Um, I think another piece that can be useful sometimes is the importance of developing a, uh, a network. And what I mean by that is that when I was interviewing these 50 top thought leaders, I discovered that it's fundamentally a, a you know, three-step process in spreading your ideas and building your following. First, it's building your network. Next, it's building your audience, you know, speaking to the public about your ideas. And then third and finally, it's building your community, building a community of people who are engaged actively around your idea. And in this first earliest step where you're building your network, where you're doing these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and uh, beginning to, to kind of, you could say, build a team, you know, assemble around you a trusted group of people, trusted group of advisors who can help uh, refine your ideas, vet them, et cetera. The reason that's important is that if you have a group of people that you trust and you share your idea with them and they say, hey, this, you know, this really sucks. You shouldn't do it. Then, you know, okay, great. You, you know, time to pivot, time to look at it. Um, but if, if you really believe in their judgment and they say, you know what, this is amazing. You really need to do this. Hopefully that can give you enough courage to embolden you to know that, you know, this is not your delusion. This is not, you know, just one man's opinion. Um, you have a group of people who are saying the world needs this idea. So it's, it's time to, uh, to man up and make it happen. That's really, really interesting. I'm really curious about those three steps as well. I think that's, uh, that's something that a lot of people could learn from as well. Cause I, I often feel that people try to move too quickly with this kind of thing. They see certainly the very successful people. You mentioned the Seth, Seth Godin's and, and, the uh, the Cialdini's of the world and and they've gone through so much to get to where they are they've put that well as you put it they've rolled up their sleeves they've dug in and they've done what they've done and I, I often find personally that people tend to want to move a little bit quickly because they see this digital age they see everything so readily available and technology just enables things what you're talking about actually is the person to person the person to many people you know this real network community building and that's not something you can do overnight is it no it's it's certainly not an, an overnight phenomenon i mean I, I think that um of course some people get uh get stymied because they think oh well this is just going to take years and years and years and so i can't do it and i'm not even going to bother uh so you you have to somehow live between those two extremes you have to realize that um that if you start today and you are consistent, you can actually build an amazing network. Um, one um, 
you know, one friend that I um, talk about and have been you know, sort of inspired by her example, um, she, when it comes to networking, she decided that she would spend one hour a week networking, which is pretty modest, actually. And I think that almost anybody can do it, you know, one hour a week. And the way that she decided to do it was that she was going to take uh, one one lunch per week and invite somebody from a different department out to lunch. And that's inc- incredibly powerful. You have to eat anyway. You're going to be eating anyway. But a lot of people, they just eat with the same people every single day. And so their networks don't grow. They don't change. They're not exposed to new ideas. So literally just by doing it once a week, if you can imagine the power that can come with having 50 new contacts, you know, fairly substantial new contacts, if you've been talking with these people for an hour uh, and then, you know, presumably maybe following up a little bit or, uh, you know, just keeping in touch with them, 50 new contacts spread throughout your organization or spread throughout your community. That's the kind of thing that, you know, even in a year, you're going to see a huge difference. But if you imagine out over two years, three years, you're going to have built a, a very impressive network. That, that What I like about that is the idea that it doesn't take much. As you said, everyone should be able to find one hour because as you say, you are eating anyway. You're doing something that you've naturally got to do. It's no extra time out of your day. And I think that's where people become a little fearful. It's where am I going to find this extra time. And that's what I particularly love about that notion is that it's, <laughs> you're doing it anyway. Why, why not? Why not do that? So I think that's really, really interesting. I just want to move that into actually talking about building that following. So obviously this is a two-part problem. First of all, the breakthrough idea, but second of all, building a following around it. And I guess what are some of the benefits of creating a following? I know that's quite a broad question, but if we think about people in business, small business owners particularly listening to this, who may have gone down this traditional marketing route and, and, you know, a very linear way of communicating with people, what is the power in a following versus customers, if that makes any sense whatsoever? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Because, uh, you know, if you, if you think about a customer, that's... Um that's kind of transactional, right? Oh, I, I gave you money. You gave me this thing. Okay. You know, we're done. Um, whereas if you have a following that implies a degree of, of engagement of an ongoing relationship, which is how, uh, you can create something really powerful. So I, I think that, that what's, what's really essential here is that it starts out it starts out small and it starts out localized, right? You're having these one-to-one communications when you build your network. Um, you know, this is literally, uh, you know, like, you know, going and having lunch with somebody and okay, one-to-one, you have a conversation, you build the, the connection, maybe you tell them about your idea and then you keep doing that for a while. But then you shift into building your audience, which is where um, you start you start sharing the idea more widely, more broadly. Instead of just you talking to one person, maybe you're talking to a couple of thousand people through a blog post that you write, or maybe you're talking to a few hundred people at a conference where you're speaking. And so the idea begins to get out into the public sphere. People are hearing it. They're, you know, they're being able to try it on for size. Some people are going to say, oh, that's interesting. That's great. And, you know, out of the 2,000 people who maybe read your blog post, um, most of them will say, okay, that's nice. But there's going to be a few people and you know each time you do it there's going to be a few more people who say wow this is incredible this is exactly what i've been looking for 
And so then that third and final step of building your community becomes about uh, the process of getting those people who are really bought in, the people who love it, to talk to each other, to build that community so that it's not just you anymore. It's not just you having conversations with people, whether it's, you know, one-on-one or you having a conversation through a podcast or a blog post or a speech, but instead it is your, your fans, quote unquote, your audience talking to each other. And that enables your idea to go exponential because when you create a legion of ambassadors, people who really believe in what you're doing, they're excited about it. They see value in it for themselves. They're not doing it as a favor to you. They're talking about it because they find it helpful. If you can create ways, whether it's meetup groups or maybe a listserv or a conference or what have you to talk to each other, then all of a sudden you really have the ability for your idea to take root and to grow dramatically. It's amazing. You mentioned there just things like creating your own conference or event. And it's amazing to think that it seems so far out of people's reach, especially when they're just starting down that path. You mentioned earlier on, Dory, about, you know, this could take years, but actually to get a community up and running, once you've done that, unless something radically changes, theoretically, they're not going anywhere. The idea of a conference and an event, which seems so insurmountable right now, actually becomes a natural progression because people congregating in a specific place to talk about something common and interesting and valuable to them is actually a really logical step, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the key, you know, for anyone here is that you you can't get too far ahead of yourself. The place where people shut themselves down is where they look at the thing that the expert who's been doing it for 10 years is doing and they say, well, I couldn't do that. And it's like, well, yeah, of course you can't do that because you're, you're starting now and they started 10 years ago. But when you've been doing it for 10 years, Absolutely, you can do it. We, we can't compare ourselves to, uh, to people who are much farther along in the cycle because we'll get discouraged and we'll stop. You need to, to focus on doing the right steps now. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's a Chinese proverb that the best time to, uh, to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And if you can't do that, then the best time to plant a tree is today. And I think the same thing happens, uh, you know, if you're talking about starting a blog or building, you know, somehow building your own online community. That's fantastic. That's a superb bookend as well to the, uh, I guess, to the framing of the issue. So what I'd like to do now, Dory, is just move into giving people some action, some specific actionable tips around how they can find their breakthrough idea and how they can build their own following. So I know you've kindly spent the time putting three actionable tips together. So if we can, let's dive into actionable tip number one, please. Yeah, let's let's certainly do that, Mark. So the the first uh, strategy that I'd like to share with your listeners in terms of how to develop your own breakthrough idea is using a niche strategy. And this is something that I talk about uh, extensively in Stand Out. But one of the reasons that it's so valuable is that if you pick a really large topic, um, you know, there's there's just innumerable uh, competition out there. And there's not a good reason since you are first starting out for people to choose you rather than someone else to talk to. If you, if you uh, decide that you are going to be an expert in technology, well, you know, there's a lot of technology experts, but if you pick a narrow niche, you really actually can make a difference. If you say, you know what, I'm going to be the expert in Google self-driving cars. That's going to be, that's going to be my niche. Well, you know what, even if, you know, if we want to talk about 
fast growth, if you decide that that's going to be your area of interest and you blog every single day for two to three months about Google self-driving cars, I'm willing to bet that at that point, by the time you hit 60, 90 articles, I mean, that's more than probably anyone in the world has written about that topic. You will become an expert very fast. Uh, whereas if you said, oh, I'm just going to be an expert in all technology, um, it's just going to be little drops in the ocean. Uh, so the niche strategy is a great way to get known, to establish yourself fast. And then over time, uh, you can expand out into adjacent areas of expertise that's really interesting actually i like the the, the sort of final cap on that one the, the idea that you can span out into adjacent um expertise bits of expertise on niches i don't know what happened with my voice then i was all over the place I must stop drinking dory <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking about that and that's that, that's something that's really interesting to me is the idea that as you said earlier people try and get ahead of themselves sometimes and i think we're all guilty of it certainly i've been guilty of it in the past you do sometimes think okay i'm going to move from a to b to c to d really really quickly rather than focusing on being very very good at a before you move to b and is that when you when you were looking at standout and you were putting it together and you were interviewing the 50 thought leaders is that a path that they've taken as well? Did they get very good at something and then move into something else? Is that quite a common thing? It certainly is a common thing. Um, in in Standout, I, I lay out five different strategies for uh, for becoming a thought leader. And one of them is the niche strategy. Uh, so you, you certainly don't have to do it. Uh, it's more like a smorgasbord with these, uh, you know, with these five strategies. So you can pick the one that is most applicable to you as a person and, you know, what you think would work for your field. But, um, but many of them have embraced a niche strategy to great success. Great stuff. I love that. And there's so many people doing that so successfully, even in the podcasting world. So it's, it's certainly something that does absolutely work. So Dory, let's just move on to actionable tip number two, please. Yes, let's do it. So actionable tip number two, this is actually uh, another strategy that I uh, th that I outline in Standout uh, on the smorgasbord for the taking is, uh, is, is mixing disciplines. And what I mean by this specifically is that when, when it comes to breakthrough ideas, of course, innovation is uh, is you know, cl close in the mix here. You want to be innovative. You want to come up with something new. Um, that inherently is a, is a breakthrough. But it is very difficult to, to break through, to come up with something really different if your mentality is the exact same as everybody else in your field and you've just been progressing uh, in, in the standard straight line as everybody else. Where innovation often comes from is mixing and intermingling disciplines because you're able to, you have a different frame of reference. Uh, you're able to look at things in a different way. Um, whereas if, if you have been so steeped in one culture, whether it's the culture of one company or the culture of one industry or discipline, it's really hard. It is very, very hard to tell the difference between not, not doing something because it's, habit and it's just all the way that it's always been done so you don't do that or because something can't be done whereas if you're coming in from outside or an outside perspective sometimes you've seen different ways of doing things and you're able to say well wait a minute why don't we do it this way here and asking those questions can sometimes be incredibly fruitful um, so in standout i profile a guy for instance named eric schott who is a leading scientist today and 
part of the reason why he has been so successful is that he has been able uh, to uh, to really shake up biology because interestingly, he originally trained in mathematics and computer science. And as a result, he had an appreciation for the power of big data that most classically trained biologists did not. So he was an early adopter of using big data in biology and has been able to have a lot of tremendous breakthroughs as a result. I love that. I'm really interested in this idea of combining disciplines. I listened to a, a fantastic interview with Adam Gazelle combining neuroscience and uh, gaming, of all things, to bring bring developments in neuroscience and specifically early stage Alzheimer's and, and really help people in the day-to-day lives through combining this neuroscience and gaming. So I, I can see the power in that, absolutely. I think that's really, really interesting. And let's wrap up with actionable tip number three, please, Dory. Yes, certainly, Mark. So the the last area that I wanted to share with your listeners is uh, is the fact that, uh, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I want to expound upon it, um, is the fact that for your idea to really take root, you first need to communicate it with a small trusted group that enables you to refine it. And I wanted to just talk a little bit more about this process. Um, one of the people that I profile and stand out is a woman named Kari Anderson. And Kari, uh, I wanted to include her story in the book because she really um, had an amazing story to to share. I had known her for a number of years before discovering this about her, but it turns out that she's such a fan of mastermind groups uh, that she actually has been involved in two of them, that one that has been meeting since 1989 and the other has been meeting since 1994. So literally one's more than 25 years, one's more than 20 years, and they've been meeting every single month for that period of time. And she says that this has become one of the most powerful professional experiences of her entire life to have this group of people that knows her so well. I mean, probably the people who do know her the best outside of her immediate family. And the lesson that I draw from this is not that we all need to be in mastermind groups for you know multiple decades, although that would be nice. But what I think is really powerful is that we need to be more proactive about who we are choosing to surround ourselves with. Too often, the the people that we end up meeting up with in a given week are just the people who happen to email us or the people that we happen to run into at events. And that kind of passivity is not good for our professional development. If we really want our ideas to take root and succeed, we need to get a heck of a lot more deliberate. We need to actually start writing down and thinking about it. Um, who are the people that we that we most want to spend time with? Who are the people that we really feel that we can learn from and want to make the effort to do it? What do we want to learn from them? What's our what's our personal development curriculum? Uh, you know, through our relationships, what do we want to learn from certain people, and what can we give back? To those people. The more deliberate we are about that, the more successful our ventures and our ideas will be. Absolutely. I, lo- I love the idea of that. And I should say, Carrie is actually an upcoming guest on the show. So listen out for that, folks. I'm really, really looking forward to that one. Oh, fantastic. You, great, great folks you're bringing together, Mark. Fantastic. We only talked about the power of the network earlier, didn't we? It's, uh, it's there. The proof's in the pudding, Dory. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, Dory, listen, that has been a fantastic fantastic episode and before we wrap it up and put a pin in it let's just uh, tell the people listening first of all where they can get a copy of standout and secondly where they can connect with you personally online please 
Well, thank you, Mark. So, uh, so Stand Out and my first book, Reinventing You, are both available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Uh, and the best way to get in touch with me is through my website, which is doryclark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. And I should mention that for folks who are interested in developing their own breakthrough idea, I actually created a free 42-page workbook that is an adaptation from Stand Out. And uh, it's literally a series of questions that walks you through the process of developing your own breakthrough idea and building the following around it. Um, so if folks would like to get that for free, you can uh, download it on my website, doryclark.com. Well, check it out, guys. It would be crazy not to go grab that free resource with so much power. Just invest a little time in yourself and complete that. I'm sure it will change what you are thinking about. Dory, thank you so, so much. That's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Mark. Listen, guys, as ever, don't forget, I am going to put everything up at excellence-expected.com in the form of the show notes from this episode. You can get copies of links and everything that myself and Dory have spoken about during this episode. And of course, whilst you're over there, you can pick up your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. It's how I cut my own hours down and became a lot more productive and happier in the process. Until next time, guys, thank you so, so much for listening. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.